All of them. Supakma Yoga Dam, who are mature mystics. Who are mature mystics. Jita, Jita. Control. Control. Shwasa. Shwasa. Breath. Breath. Indriya. Indriya. The senses. The Atmanam. Atmanam. The mind. Labdha. Attain. Yushmat. Yushmat. Your. Vasadanam. Mercy. Putashit, anywhere, Parabaha, defeat, translation and purport by His Divine Grace, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami, Srila Prabhupada, There is no defeat in this material world for persons who control the mind and senses by controlling the breathing process and who are therefore experienced mature mystics. This is so, uh, this is because by such perfection in yoga, they have attained your mercy. Please repeat. There is no defeat in this material world. There is no defeat in this material world. For persons who control the mind and senses. For persons who control the mind and senses. By controlling the breathing process. By controlling the breathing process. And who are therefore experienced mature mystics. And who are therefore experienced mature mystics. This is because by such perfection in yoga. This is because by such perfection in yoga. They have attained your mercy. They have attained your mercy. Purport. This is still the demigod speaking to Lord Brahma. But it almost sounds like they're addressing the Lord himself. But they're addressing Brahma because he's the representative of the Lord and the uh, the head honcho of the universe. So he's uh, being given this kind of respect because he's like big time. And even in Bhagavad Gita it says what? That the king is the representative of God. Not a Dave. It's like a God amongst the humans. What to speak of Lord Brahma, who's way beyond any king and who's self-realized. But we shouldn't think that, oh, Brahma is God. The purpose of yogic performances is explained here. It is said that an experienced mystic attains full control of the senses and the mind by controlling the breathing process. Therefore, controlling the breathing process is not the ultimate aim of yoga. The real purpose of yogic performances is to control the mind and senses. Anyone who has such control is to be understood to be an experienced, mature, mystic yogi. It is indicated herein that a yogi who has control over the mind and senses has the actual benediction of the Lord, and he has no fear. In other words, one cannot attain the mercy and benediction of the Supreme Lord until one is able to control the mind and the senses. This is actually possible when one fully engages in Krishna consciousness. A person whose senses and mind are always engaged in the transcendental service of the Lord has no possibility of engaging in material activities. The devotees of the Lord 
are not defeated anywhere in the universe. It is stated, Narayana Padaksarvi, one who is Narayana Pada, or devotee of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, is not afraid anywhere, whether he is sent to hell or promoted to heaven. Bhagavatam 6, 17, 28. And now we'll also read the previous verse. Which states, Yetwanyan yena bhavena bhavan yatyantya atma bhavanam atmani prota bhuvanam param sarasaratmakam. O Lord, all these planets exist within yourself, and all the living entities are generated from you. You must be addressing Krishna, not Brahman, that looks different. Therefore, you are the cause of this universe, and anyone who meditates upon you without deviation attains devotional service. Let's go back and see. Fortunate demigods are speaking to Brahma, the god of the demigods. They were speaking to Brahma, that's correct. These are all lowercase letters, too. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, um, Prabhupada takes the opportunity in his purport here to explain what is the yoga process. And the goal of the yoga process is not simply to control the breathing, although that is one uh, element or limb of the Ashtanga Yoga. Ashta means eight, Anga means limb or part. So the yoga process has eight parts the Eightfold Yoga System. And who knows where this system is delineated in the Shastra? No, Chapter 6 of the Bhagavad Gita. So we're going to look at that in a minute. Uh, first though, Srila Prabhupada quotes this verse here, Narayana Paraksarve Nakutas Chandabhibhiti Swagar darshinaha. So uh, he says, his phone just went beat. That one who is not Ayanapada or devotee of the Lord is not afraid anywhere. Narayana Padaksarve. Um, the devotees of the Lord. Uh, they're never afraid. Now, who knows someone who's a devotee of the Lord who's never afraid? That's one. Someone more recent. Someone more recent. 
Yes, and even more recent, Srila Prabhupada, whose name at birth was Abhaicharan. Abhai means fearless, Charan, at the lotus feet of the Lord. And then when he took initiation, he became Abhaicharan Aravinda, which added more to that. Aravinda, lotus. Abhaicharan Aravinda. Bajahure mana srinandanandana abhayacharanaravindure. So devotee, Srila Prabhupada was fearless. How, how was an example of Srila Prabhupada being fearless? And he climbed the side of that building. <laughs> yeah, that's right. He climbed up the Victoria Memorial, yeah. the scaffolding. Yeah. <laughs> he came to New York City. He came on a steamship with no money and 200 sets of Bhagavatams. In trunks. And he didn't compromise anything. To New York City. A, and he was never afraid. He was living in the Bowery. I'd be super apprehensive even walking down the street in the Bowery myself. I've been to New York City. Yeah. You've got to watch yourself. Yeah, it's <laughs> you can walk down the street. One guy grabs from you from behind, pins your arms, and the other guy goes to your pockets and takes all your stuff. You know, your wallet and your money or whatever, and your watch, or these days your phone. <laughs> oh, yes. Yes, so um, these things are happening. The Srila Prabhupada was never afraid. And he said he felt at home in New York City. Why? He said because he was an old Calcutta boy. <laughs> If you've ever been to Calcutta, you can understand what he's saying. There's a lot happening out on the street. People are living on the street, sleeping, working, hanging out. Everything is happening in the street. When I first, first time I landed in India, my first place to go was Bombay. We were supposed to go to Delhi, but the plane got diverted and went to Bombay. So because it was a mistake, on the part of the airline, they uh, sent a bus to pick up all the devotees. And what they did was they gave us a free hotel room. And then we were going to catch a flight later to uh, uh, Delhi. So the bus came, but there were more devotees than seats on the bus. So all the devotees got on the bus, which was supposed to take them to the hotel. But the bus driver, so it was all devotees, so he took them to the temple. <laughs> but we didn't go on the bus, so we got to go to the hotel and refresh ourselves. And then we took a taxi to the temple. So that was my, uh, that taxi ride is burned into my mind. It was my first real India experience. So the first thing I saw, um, we're in the little ambassador cab for devotees, and then it's morning rush hour, about 7.30 in the morning. So we come up to a railroad crossing, and the, you know, the, the gate goes down, and the driver turns off the motor. Like, whoa. I usually say, like, that's why he turns off the motor. It means now the guys are going to come and pull you out of the car. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. And then the train comes by, the commuter train, people going to work, 
typical Bombay weekday morning. <coughs> and there were people on top of the train and hanging out the windows. And I'd never seen such a thing in my life. And I was shocked. And with my American sensibility, I said, they can't do that. That's illegal. But this is India. <laughs> they're hanging out the windows. They're holding onto the roof. No rules, no regulations. Just chaos. And then um, in the street, everything was in the street. There was no sidewalk. There were donkey carts, people. And the cab driver's method of navigating the streets, he was holding the steering wheel with one hand, and with the flesh of his forearm, he was playing the horn. Almost sounded like Morse code. So the horn is the method of communication. <clears throat> and he was a true artist, playing these rhythms, all with the little fleshy part of his arm. Amazing. Everything was in the street. Cows, donkeys, carts, people, loads of stuff. I'm like, wow, culture shock. So um, how much more so when Prabhupada came to America, to the streets of New York, which are a pretty dark and dismal place. The smell of dogs still everywhere. There's a kind of a filth that sort of permeates the streets of big cities like New York. Mm -hmm. And a passion, a, a, a passionate mode. People are hustling and bustling about very passionately, very pushed by the mode of passion. It's palpable. I myself never found it a very pleasant place. But um, I'll say one thing about New York City. It's a great place to preach on the street. Uh, just a great place to do Harnam. I remember doing Harnam with just a couple of devotees and we had a changing bodies, full-size changing bodies exhibit. And we had a little sound system and we were playing the guitar, bass, and drum machine chanting the holy name in front of the uh, immigration building. In mm -hmm. Midtown Manhattan, yeah. and we were serving out some cookies and some lemonade, just like we do here. And so many people are coming, just so many people are there, and they're interested. <laughs> and I have to say one thing about New Yorkers they know a good thing when they see it, they appreciate quality. So they've always liked the devotees' hard on parties, which go out every day still in New York City. <clears throat> In the winter, I guess they go into the subways and train stations where it's a little warmer inside. In the summer, they go outside. So that's going on. Anyway, great place to preach, but not a real comfortable, easy-going place by any stretch. But Prabhupada was there, and he was fearless. He felt no inconvenience. He said he never felt alone because his Guru Maharaj was always with him. So never afraid, and confident. Here he is, one old man, 69 years old, not in good health, not really knowing anybody, and preaching and attracting young people to follow him. Completely confident. Amazing. No hesitation. No fear. Abhai Chattanamanda. So that's fearless. Uh, 
whether a devotee is swarga in heaven, apavarga, liberated, or narakeshu in hell. Apitalyata uh, darshana, he sees it all as the same. It's the same. We don't necessarily see that all as the same. Uh, but a devotee who's fixed up, Narayana Anapada, it's all the same to him. He doesn't care. You can send me to hell, you can send me to heaven, you can keep me here in the middle planetary system, whatever. As long as I'm chanting Hare Krishna and preaching, I'm good. So that's Prabhupada's mood. Uh, so now, let us turn to the sixth chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, which is the authorized description of the yoga system. And the title of the chapter is Jnana Yoga. Jnana means meditation. So, we'll read a few verses. Verse number three says that for one who is a neophyte in the Eightfold Yoga system, work is said to be the means. And for one who is already elevated in yoga, cessation of all material activities is said to be the means. And then in the next verse, he defines that. Cessation of material activities. A person is said to be elevated in yoga when having renounced all material desires, he neither acts for sense gratification nor engages in fruitive activities. So that is the standard right there. That um, being, being free from material desires. That is the platform of Krishna consciousness. That doesn't mean f complete freedom from desire. It means free from material desire. The Buddhists think that one should become free from all desire. But that is not possible. It is not possible. Because Anandamaya uh, Vyasa, the nature of the soul, is that he has desire. And that is the nature of God also. Anandamaya. Seeking bliss. So the soul wants bliss. He has desire. He wants something. And Krishna also, he's like that. He doesn't have material desire, but he's desiring spiritual engagement. So that is freedom from material desire, but not freedom from desire, period, as it were. And one who is on this platform does not act for sense gratification and does not engage in fruitive activities. So what does he do? Does it just sit there like a bump on a log? No. He actively engages his body, mind, and senses, if he's in the material world, in the service of Krishna. And that's the same thing that goes on in the spiritual world, only there's no material body, no material mind, and no material senses. There's spiritual body, spiritual mind, and spiritual senses. So everything is there, but it's of a different quality. Its quality is Satchit Ananda. Whereas the quality, Sat, Sat means eternal, Chit means full of knowledge, and Ananda means blissful. So that is the 
nature of Krishna, and that is the nature of his manifestation of the spiritual world. Ishvara Ananda Vigraha. His very form is composed of Sat, Chit, and Ananda. Whereas in contradistinction, the forms that we have, that we're inhabiting now, are not like that. They're composed of asa, uh, temporality. Achit, full of ignorance. And nirananda, not getting any bliss, but suffering. That's the opposite of bliss, of suffering. So although we're pure spirit soul, we're experiencing this asa, achit, and nirananda. And then we're thinking, why does my life suck? <laughs> what is going on here? Why is it no good? What is the what is the answer? How come I'm perplexed? This is what Sanatana Goswami asked Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Who am I? And why are the threefold miseries beat me over the head? Why is that? Of course, he knew the answer, but he inquired like this for the sake of instructing everyone else. And also to get Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu to preach the pure philosophy of Krishna consciousness. So, what is the first thing that Lord Chaitanya said in, re in response to Sanatana Goswami's inquiry? Of course, he, he not only said, Who am I and why am I suffering? He also explained a little further. He said, People think that I'm a very learned scholar because he was a very learned scholar. He spoke like five languages, he's a master of Sanskrit and philosophy, and he knew all the Persian Shastras too. He spoke Persian and Farsi and all these languages. He was like completely learned. Bengali, Hindi, uh, and of course Sanskrit. He said, people, people are thinking, I'm a learned scholar, they're saying like that. And because they're saying like that, I'm thinking the same way. I'm thinking, yes, I'm a learned scholar. But actually, I'm a fool because I don't know who I really am. So Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu instructed him. He told him that, The first thing is, you've got nothing to do with this material body. Your real form is that you're a spirit soul servant of Krishna. Krishnera Nityadas. Nityadas, the eternal servant, Krishnera of Krishna. So that's where the teachings of Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and Siddhartha Goswami begin. And first of all, the reason you're suffering is because you don't know who you are. Um, that, that term became popular in modern culture, like probably in the 60s, that one has an identity crisis. Because I don't know who I am. So how can you be happy if you don't know who you are and then if you know who you are, that suggests you know what to do. So if you know that you're an eternal servant of Krishna, okay then, then you engage in bhakti yoga, in the service of Krishna. And then your identity crisis is finished. No more crisis. Because the real identity is understood, servant of Krishna. So that is who we are, the servant of Krishna. That is the real identity. So Chaitanya Mahaprabhu has kindly enlightened us. So, free from material desires, only spiritual desires. 
not acting for sense gratification, but acting for the interest and gratification of Krishna's senses. And not engaging in furtive activities, but engaging in pure bhakti for the pleasure, for the satisfaction of Guru Krishna. So that's what Krishna is speaking of here. And he talks about the mind in a few verses. Udared atmanatmanam, natmanam avasali, atmaiva yatmano bandhurat maivarupa atmanaha. One must deliver himself with the help of his mind and not degrade himself. The mind is the friend of the conditioned soul and his enemy as well. So, um, how to make the mind one's friend and curb that tendency of the mind to be the enemy? That's to fix the mind on Krishna. Who is really expert at fixing his mind on Krishna? In the Bhagavatam, one famous king. Maharajanvari. Savaimana Krishna. Padaravindayo. He fixed his mind on the lotus feet of Krishna. There's more. He goes on to describe how he engaged each one of his senses in the service of the Lord. That's the first thing. Savaimana Krishna Padaravindayo. So that's the most important thing. First of all, engage the mind always in thinking of Krishna. Krishna says that. Manmana, Bhavamad Bhakto. Manmana, put your mind on me. Bhavamad Bhakto, Bhava, become. Mad Bhakto, my devotee. Manmana, Bhavamad Bhakto. So that's the same thing that Maharaj Ambarish was doing. He had his mind fixed on Krishna and he was acting as Krishna's devotee. So Krishna is telling this for everyone. Everyone, put your mind on me and become my devotee. Who is listening? <laughs> Who is following? So, not so many. But that's what Krishna is saying. And the next verse, a little bit more about the mind. Banhuratmatmanas tasya yena maivatmana jitaha anatmanas tu shatuve vartatit maivashatuvat for him who has conquered the mind, the mind is the best of friends. And for one who has failed to do so, his mind will remain the greatest enemy. So who's conquered the mind? That person who is a devotee and surrendered their mind at the lotus feet of Krishna. That's who's conquered the mind. And so then his mind is his good friend. He gets up in the morning, his mind tells him, Hey, you, Jan Hare Krishna, wake up. Jan Hare Krishna. That's the mind's the best friend. The business of the mind is to what? Accept and reject. So when one accepts and rejects on the basis of Krishna consciousness, when the mind is trained up, then one sees an opportunity to engage in sense gratification. Hey, no thanks. That's not for me. I don't do that stuff. And I, when the mind sees an opportunity to engage in Krishna service, Oh yes, let me take that. Thank you very much. I will accept that. So he's a, the mind is accepting and rejecting. Ordinarily for the conditioned soul, the mind is accepting and rejecting on the basis of sense gratification. Is that something my senses want? I'll take it. Serves to Krishna? No thanks. Ain't got time. Father speaks about this. No time. We don't have time for that. My dear sir, please kindly take this book and chant Hare Krishna. 
No, 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 no. Don't have time for that because my mind tells me, no, my mind tells me, get some sense gratification. This bhakti yoga, who needs that? My senses are telling me otherwise. My mind is telling me. So his mind is trained to accept and bet, reject <coughs> on the basis of sense gratification. And we've been undergoing that training for billions of births. We are naturally, without any, as soon as we take birth, we are already trained up to accept and reject on the basis of sense gratification. Everyone knows that. Everyone already knows that. Everyone knows how to be a rascal and engage their mind in sense gratification in their senses. You hardly have to teach that. <coughs> Yet they do have universities for that. <laughs> <coughs> but that university where one learns to control the mind <coughs> and engage in a Christian consciousness, that's a very small school we have right here on Black Ridge. <coughs> not so big, not so rich, not 30, 40,000 students, just a few. Uh, out of thousands of persons who seek perfection, Krishna says, Manushanam Sahasrishi, thousands, millions, Kastidyatri City, hardly one knows me in truth. And then out of thousands of such people, hardly one becomes a devotee of Krishna. Samahatma Sadrulabhava, a great soul who knows Vasudeva Savamiti, who knows that Krishna is everything. Sadhmahatma Sadrulabhava. You know, when we had that program at uh, Chaitanya Rita's house, and everyone was, we were going around the room and everyone was giving their realization. And then uh, Kirtan's wife, Sumitra, she said, she got very emotional. And she said, these material relationships are no good. I don't know what she's talking about her marriage or what, but she got really emotional, choked up, and then she said, Krishna is everything. So, Samahatma Sadrulabaha, such a realization. Wow, I was impressed. <laughs> I was impressed. Krishna is everything. That is the proper realization. Samahatma Sadrulabaha. So, that we have to know. So, that is how the mind becomes the friend, is by being trained up to accept everything. This is part of the process. We were talking about that in the Sunday Feast lecture of Sharanagati, the sixfold process of surrender. Uh, <clears throat> accepting everything favorable for devotional service and rejecting everything unfavorable. Oh, would you like to come take some intoxication? <laughs> Been there, done that. That is not Mahatsevam Dwarma Horvi Mukhtas. That means Mahatsevam, service to the great souls, Dwaram, doorway, Ahurvi Mukhtas, to liberation. That means serving the devotee, engaging in Krishna consciousness. And what is the opposite of that? Tamodwaram. Tamodwaram means eating, illicit sex, gambling, and intoxication. That's Tamodwaram. Yet that Tamodwaram is the prevalent mode of life in, in, on planet Earth, pretty much. So. And it's nice to have a choice, you know. We're not being forced to do anything. We have free will, free choice. 
So what do you choose? If you're trained up in Krishna consciousness, you choose Krishna's service. And if you're trained, and if you're untrained in Krishna consciousness and just at the lowest common denominator of sense gratification, then you choose Maya every time. That's what goes on. That's the whole culture, the whole world. How do I become happy? Get stuff, get money, and enjoy the senses. That's happiness. Well, that's so foolish, though. That's so foolish. Just because everybody does it doesn't make it the path of enlightenment or make it the right thing to do. But because nobody knows any better, everybody does it. And they're misled. So our mission is to educate ourselves and everyone else as to what is the proper uh, path in life, what is the real goal, what is the proper activities to engage in to progressively attain that goal. All right, we'll read a couple more verses and then we'll open up the floor for discussion. Next verse, verse number seven, Krishna says, For one who has conquered the mind, the super soul is already reached. For he has attained tranquility. To such a man, happiness and distress, heat and cold, honor and dishonor are all the same. So you can see we have a ways to go, especially on the heat and cold. <laughs> Living in a climate where it goes from 30 degrees to 130 degrees. <laughs> well, 120 anyway. So it takes some. Prabhupada really didn't like cold weather. I never liked cold weather myself. <clears throat> but the cold is more powerful than the heat. You know the story in the Krishna book, the battle between the Vishnu Dwar and the Shiva Dwar. The Shiva Dwar is a heat weapon. And the Vishnu Dwar is the cold weapon. Who wins? The Vishnu Dwar, the cold weapon. Freezes out the heat weapon. Takes its potency away. So therefore it is said, I have heard, that heat is austerity and cold is misery. <clears throat> therefore we have gone to considerable effort to have heat in the building. I think the service has turned off now. It's a little chilly in here. <clears throat> but on the transcendental platform, happiness and distress, whatever. Honor and dishonor, it's the same. It's a different size of the same coin. Heat and cold, matras parshas to kontiyas, hitotsa suka dukana, agamapayinonitana, a transcendental person just tolerates, that's yeah, all right. I'm just engaging chanting Hare Krishna. You know, Bhakti Santa Saraswati was sitting in a thatched hut in Mayapur following his vow to chant a billion names of God. And when it would rain, he just put the umbrella <coughs> up because the thatched roof was leaking. And he just chanted with his umbrella. This I didn't mind. Just sitting in the hut. Gets cold, gets too hot. Leaks, the roof leaks, mosquitoes come. <coughs> well, there's snakes in my you know, it's the Ganges Delta, there's snakes there. <coughs> Cobras. That's not. It's Jin Hardish. Thakur was living in a cave, and there was a big fat cobra living in that cave. 
and he didn't mind. And didn't bother him. The snake didn't bother him. He didn't bother the snake. They were like buddies, just happened to be taking shelter in the same place. But devotees who had come to see Hardasakur, they were a little like, whoa, did you see that big fat cobra cave? Man, I think I could go hang out there. <laughs> I want to get bit by that big snake. And then the snake was instructed by Super Soul in his heart. You know, Haridas is staying here, and other devotees are coming to see him to give his darshan. He's a very advanced devotee. So maybe you should go find another cave. So the snake slithered away uh, out of deference, being instructed by the super soul in the heart to uh, find another hooch. <clears throat> so that's pretty amazing, isn't it? But Haridas, he could be there. He wasn't afraid of the snake, and he, he said they would get along just fine. Actually, the snake was, uh, you know, getting to hear Hardmas chant his round. Very fortunate snake. So those are some of the things. In the sixth chapter, there's a lot more. We just went into the first few verses. There's one more verse I want to read. Oh yeah, that's verse 16. I always really like this verse. States, Nashas natas to yoga steed, chai kantam anashnataha, nechetni swapnasilasha, jagalato, naiva charjuna. There is no possibility of one's becoming a yogi or arjuna if one eats too much or eats too little, sleeps too much or does not sleep enough. <clears throat> we were telling the story about the little Chinese boy in the Michael Gorkul, where they were interviewing the boys. And he said, eat little, not too much. Sleep a little, not too much. Play a little, not too much. And chant Hare Krishna. Lots of japa, lots of japa. So, a six-year-old boy, he's understood chapter six of Bhagavad Gita. Of course, he threw play in there. Play a little, not too much. Smart kid. So we'll stop here and ask for any questions or comments. <clears throat> Who would like to say something they got from this class? Yes. I was just going to say, uh, I don't know if it was you talking about it, but how Prabhupada, you would never reveal if you had something, some bodily pain or discomfort oftentimes. Maybe that was strange for people. Yeah, it wasn't me. But, um, yeah, Prabhupada did not make much of whatever difficulties he was having. Some devotees complained about some Prabhupada said, yes, I have a buzzing, and a ringing in my ears, a buzzing in my head, disturbs my work, but I don't talk about it. He just tolerated it and went on with his activities. And he did so much between the ages of 69 and 81 when he left this world. He accomplished so much. He did so much writing and translating. It's just amazing. And his health was not optimum most of the time. 
How about you, Dominar? What's your realization? Um, cold is definitely more powerful than heat. Because <laughs> just, just with plants, a plant can be... Tolerate the heat. Well, a plant can die in an hour or less from the cold. And even if it's 115 or 120, it's going to take a few days. So, you know, just, uh, just that. And if you just give it some water, it'll live. Well, no. So, so <laughs> The Depending garden speaks, the well, no. <laughs> Depending on the heat and the type of plant. But, but, uh, but yeah, it's uh, cold will take them out so much faster than we do. Vivian? I didn't have a snake story. Um, he, um, Rajan Chakur, he was going to have the first Mayapur festival, and um, he was having somebody call Lord Chaitanya Giri, and um, it just wasn't right, it wasn't right. And then I think Lord Chaitanya came to him in a dream and said, there's one that's very accurate of me, buried in the rice in the storeroom of this place. So he went to the owner and he goes, oh no, you can't go in that storeroom. It's full of snakes, you can't. He goes, no, I gotta go. He goes, no, 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 no. So they thought he'd be screaming and all the snakes left. And then they found the perfect Lord Chaitanya. And? Well, I think I got from these classes that Gibby got say that all the plants are within Lord Brahma. I'm trying to figure that out. Well, I, I can't, I don't have a full grasp of that, but it appears there uh, as him being the Suresh, the you know, Lord of the demigods, the controller of the demigods, the chief, then they're addressing him as if he were the supreme. Sometimes a, a powerful personality is called Bhagavan, like Narada Muni is sometimes called Bhagavan Narada. Well, Bhagavan means God, possessor of all opulences, and Narada is not God, but he's addressed as that because he's such a great devotee. So that's what I can say about that. I'm going to come back to you. I just like how you spoke about Prabhupada being so fearless. Uh, just really, um, it just it just shows us that you know Prabhupada was always fixed in his Krishna consciousness, and he was always seeing like he can see everything. You know, he can envision everything that you know that was destined for him. You know, and he was fixed on that. So I mean, nothing can deviate from from that, which. You become fearless when you realize who's on your side. Krishna was always there, spiritual right. master. Madonna. The, the word deference is not used very often, but uh, it really applies to a lot of the theme of this, of the, the, that we learn in this particular class of how um, to practice Krishna consciousness and to deference to, um, we choose the higher taste. We take, we defer what the common people are, uh, you know, natural desire is natural, but people are are responding according to the desires of their senses and attraction of their senses and desire for sense gratification. But we defer with our intelligence. We defer knowing that on the basis of knowledge to what to to what is higher, what is available that, to us that's higher. So I found I found that pretty interesting. And the cobra, you said out of deference, the cobra left the the. Um, the cave. The cave. So that's like our mind, material mind, you know, out of deference. We uh, 
we have to remove our material mind from the equation of Krishna consciousness. We have to fix our mind back, take it back, bring it back to the holy name constantly. Yeah, you know, following the order of Guru. Yeah. And Krishna. Julie. Oh, is this one that theme that you're talking about? I think it's on somewhere in Prabhupada's books, I don't remember where, but the devotee can be empowered, empowered almost to the level of, I mean, the Lord can empower somebody almost to the level of themselves, be right. There's a certain percentage. If he's, if he's the living percentage. entity can have something like, what, 68% of the qualities of the Lord? They're channeling, like, like the Lord's channeling the energy through the love. That reminds me, one time I was <clears throat> speaking with Bhakti Chaita Swami in the temple in Boston. I was a very young Ramachari, and he came for a visit. And we were sitting in the room, in his room, and uh, all of a sudden he says, he says, wait a minute, wait a minute. He said, something's coming through. <laughs> he was receiving a transmission from beyond. <laughs> and he started speaking Krishna Kata. I was like, wow, it's coming through. <laughs> it's coming through, all right. It's a touch. So that was a very nice experience. Okay, so thank you very much. We'll stop here. Shri Prabhupada Ki Jai, Bhagavatam Ki Jai. 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 J